0: Welcome to Music History Monday for November Fourteenth, Twenty Twenty Two. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is "The Other Prodigious Mendelssohn: Fanny Mendelssohn Hensel." If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at Patreon.com/slash/RobertGreenbergMusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the birth on November fourteenth, eighteen o five, 1805, 217 years ago today, of the German composer, pianist, wife, mother, and Hausfrau, Fanny Mendelssohn Hensel, in the Hanseatic city of Hamburg, she died on May fourteenth eighteen forty seven, all too young, at the age of forty one, at her home in the Prussian capital of Berlin. Fanny Cecile Mendelssohn was the first child of an eventual four of Leah and Abraham Mendelssohn. Leah Mendelssohn took one look at her infant daughter's hands and famously exclaimed, quote, Look! She has Bach fugue hands unquote and that she did. The next Mendelssohn child was born three years and three months later. Fanny's baby brother, the genius, Felix Mendelssohn, eighteen oh nine to eighteen forty seven. GENIUS The word genius is so overused as to be almost useless. Nevertheless, it is necessary that we define it and then discuss an aspect of its usage. Definition Admittedly, while there is no precise scientific way to measure and define genius, the following definition by Walter Isaacson will do. Isaacson knows genius. His biographies of Albert Einstein, Benjamin Franklin, Steve Jobs, and Leonardo da Vinci are all must-reads. Quote, Genius is a characteristic of original and exceptional insight in the performance of some art or endeavor that surpasses expectations, sets new standards for future works, establishes better methods of operation, or remains outside the capabilities of competitors. Genius is associated with intellectual ability and creative productivity, and may refer to a polymath who excels across diverse subjects, unquote. A most intriguing question. When was the last time any of us heard of a woman being referred to as a genius? Before setting out to write this blog, I never asked myself that question. But after a proper bit of brain-racking, my personal answer is never. Yes, Marie Curie (1867 to 1934) remains the only woman to have won the Nobel Prize twice. Perhaps Walter Isaacson would consider writing a biography of Madame Curie. The actress Hedy Lamarr. 1914 to 2000 was a self-taught inventor who, among many other things, helped create frequency hopping, a technology that today lies at the heart of Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. As a mathematician for NASA, it was Dr. Katherine Johnson, 1918 to 2020, who calculated the flight paths for the Apollo moon missions. I could go on, but I don't need to because whatever we choose to call them, there always have been and always will be geniuses that are women. The issues for us right now are, one, whether or not their societies allow women to develop their genius, and two, whether their societies are willing to designate them as being geniuses. Alas, male-dominated societal machinations, have traditionally conspired against smart women. Sadly, it's an undeniable fact such women have historically been perceived as presenting a threat to patriarchal order, and were kept at home, there to protect the patrilinear family. As such, writes Françoise Tillard, the notion of genius belongs to a world of masculine concepts that do not include female creativity." The distinction between talent and genius was formulated by German writers and philosophers in the 18th century. By the 19th century, the prestigious French Le Robert Dictionary defined genius as, quote, a superior aptitude of the mind that lifts a man above the common measure and renders him capable of creations inventions and undertakings which seem extraordinary or superhuman to his peers unquote. man him and his this is not just old-style pronoun usage it is a mindset That takes as an ironclad given that men create and women procreate, and never shall that twain meet. Fanny Mendelssohn Hensel as Genius. Was Fanny Mendelssohn Hensel a musical genius? Yes. Did she carry within her the potential for greatness? Oh, most definitely, yes. Fanny's mother. And Fanny's friends considered her to be as gifted as her brother Felix, the genius. She was subjected to the same daunting dawn-to-dusk educational regimen as Felix. Both she and Felix studied piano with the same teacher, and as children she was considered to be the more gifted pianist. By the age of 13, she could play all of Johann Sebastian Bach's The Well-Tempered Clavier from memory. Bach Fugans. Indeed. Despite the natural rivalry between them, Felix and Fanny were, growing up, in terms of their prodigious talent, ambition, and intellect, equals. As children, they were inseparable, true soulmates, and hardly less so as adults. They studied together, played games together, read to each other, acted out Shakespeare's plays together, performed music together, and wrote each other obsessively when they weren't together. For which, by the way, we should be grateful. It is their correspondence and Fanny's personal diary that are collectively the primary biographical source for the first half of their lives. For both Fanny and Felix, music was a religion. And they were true believers, believers in the gospel according to Bach, Mozart, Haydn, and Beethoven, believers in the inherent superiority of German musical culture, and that music was the ultimate manifestation of spiritual and aesthetic truth and beauty. They were two child prodigies developing in tandem and moving on parallel paths. In 1819, they were both accepted into Carl Friedrich Zelter's Berlin Sing Academy, an exclusive musical educational institution famous for its rigor. From 1819 to 1826, both Fanny and Felix studied music composition with Carl Friedrich Zelter himself. Fanny, who was, after all, three plus years older than Felix, progressed more rapidly than did her brother. According to Zelter's friend and confidant, none other than the famed Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, Fanny was, quote, as gifted as Felix, unquote. The young Felix hated having to compete with and be compared to his older sister, as he invariably came out second best, and as a result he developed something of a complex towards competitions of any kind. Long after he had become famous, the publisher, Alfred Novello, asked Mendelssohn to submit a piece of music to a competition he was sponsoring. Mendelssohn's response, dated April 7th, 1838, is actually quite endearing. Quote, I wish I could send you the asked for composition, but it is altogether impossible for me to do anything in the way of prize competition. I cannot do it. And when I was compelled to do so, when a boy in competition with my sister, my works were always wonders of stupidity, unquote. For our information, the young Felix called his sister the boss and the Canter. Fanny composed her first piece of music in 1819 when she was 14 years old. It is a song in honor of her father's birthday. Bitten by the composition bug, she wrote over 50 small works, including songs, piano pieces, and a number of choral arrangements and concert arias within just a matter of months. Her trajectory was ballistic, and even a cursory look at these early student works indicates that her promise as a composer was indeed extraordinary. All told, Fanny composed some 400 works An impressive number until we realize that they are almost all small works. Songs, brief piano pieces, and such. She never had the opportunity to compose for more than four instruments. Her single string quartet was composed in 1834. There is no orchestral music by Fanny Mendelssohn Hensel. There are no symphonies, no overtures, no orchestral suites, no concerti and no dramatic vocal music, meaning operas, operatic scenes, oratorios, or cantatas. Fanny's still mostly unpublished music, still in handwritten manuscript, is preserved today in the Mendelssohn division of the Prussian State Library in Berlin. While Leah and Abraham Mendelssohn were proud of their children, it became apparent in 1820 when Fanny was about to turn 15 and thus be confirmed that a line had to be drawn. It was time for Fanny and Necessary Reality to have a little tête-à-tête. Her passionate commitment to music, which was perfectly acceptable for a child, was, particularly according to Fanny's father Abraham, unseemly for a young woman of 15. So it was that Abraham Mendelssohn, 1776 to 1835, who was then in Paris, wrote to his daughter on July 16, 1820. In his letter, he wrote about the sort of life a young lady like herself was expected to lead. He told her that she had no choice but to devote herself entirely, body and soul, to her family, her home, and her future role as a wife and mother. Professional activity of any kind was simply out of the question. In no way did Abraham Mendelssohn minimize his daughter's talent. He simply claimed that the issue was one of morality. Quote, what you tell me about your musical urges, as compared to Felix's, was well expressed. Perhaps music will be his profession, whereas for you it can and must be but an ornament and never the fundamental baseline of your existence and activity. That is why ambition and the desire to make the most of himself in circumstances he deems important are forgivable in Felix, for he experiences it as a vocation. It is to your credit that you have always shown your good heart and good sense by the joy you manifest when Felix wins applause, applause that you would have deserved equally had you been in his place. Persevere in these feelings and this attitude, for they are feminine, and femininity alone is becoming to a woman." Abraham adored Fanny, but he was a man of his time. Fanny was broken-hearted, but she did what she was told to do, because she was a woman of her time. So while Felix began taking the educational tours that were a prerequisite for a career in music, during which he'd perform as a pianist and conductor, hear his own music played, and make contacts with fellow composers across the continent, Fanny sat at home and watched from afar, her own musical activities as a pianist, conductor, and composer being limited to the Songtagsmusiken, the Sunday musical soirees held in her parents' house in Berlin. Fanny continued to live in her parents' house even after her marriage in 1829 to the court painter, Wilhelm Hensel, and the birth of her son, Sebastian, in 1830. Fanny had her music room in that house, and she continued to practice and to compose when she could. But societal pressures and domestic obligations were what they were and it was her fate never to develop as a composer in a way she would have at another time and place. Among the further insults to injury was the fact that Abraham Mendelssohn forbade Fanny from publishing her music, lest it appear that she was indeed pursuing a profession. When Abraham died in November of 1835, and the 26-year-old Felix became the ranking pater familias, male head of the family, He picked up where his dad left off, and likewise forbade the commercial circulation of Fanny's music. I know, this sounds terrible by today's standards, but we must do our best to understand it in historical context. Felix had tremendous, even overwhelming, respect for the boss's musical abilities and judgment. He bragged about her to anyone who'd listen. Hey, yo, my sister can play that with their thumbs tied behind your back! And to the end of Fanny and Felix's lives, they sent each other their newly completed works for comment and criticism. Of course, her opinions of his music were almost always glowing. She was proud of her baby brother, and besides, Fanny understood that Felix's ego required stroking. On the other hand, Felix could be brutally frank about the shortcomings he perceived in Fanny's music, sometimes to the point of real insensitivity. After just such a critical spanking, in January of 1836, a discouraged Fanny wrote to her brother, quote, I'm very sad, and it's truly not out of vanity that I haven't been able to thank you in such a long time for actually liking something of mine. Did I really do it better before, or were you simply easier to please?" Felix, in full denial mode, replied, I deny it all and assure you that I have every reason to be thankful for everything you create. If I don't like two or three successive pieces quite as much as other things you have written, this has no more serious cause than that you compose less than you did before for you have to think of many other things besides composing. And surely, surely, it is better this way. But if you think your recent pieces are in any way inferior to the older ones, you're completely mistaken. You know full well that I'm a nitpicking owl, and I belong to the savage race of brothers. You must write back quickly and admit how unjust you're being in implying I'm a person with no taste and promise not to do it again. Unquote. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Among those recent pieces that Felix had recently criticized was a string quartet Fanny composed in 1834. It's her first and only string quartet, an outstanding, solidly crafted first string quartet that like so much of Fanny's music, shows us what she might have been capable of had she had the opportunity to compose a 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th string quartet, the same total number composed by her brother Felix. We will discuss Fanny's quartet in tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post. We will as well examine one of Fanny's last works, her piano trio in D, opus 11 a Fanny Mendelssohn Hensel work with an opus number, meaning that it was published. Alas, it was published in 1850, three years after her death, although at the conclusion of tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post, we will observe the circumstances that saw a small number of Fanny's works published at the very end of her life. Finally, we'll close out tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes with an examination of Fanny's piano sonatas, three in number. Until then, thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.